I thought of a remark that the United States is like a gigantic boiler. Once a fire is lighted under it, there is no limit to the power it can generate. Being saturated and satiated with emotion and sensation, I went to bed and slept the sleep of a saved and thankful. Quote by Winston Churchill. I fear all we have done is to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with a terrible resolve. Quote by Admiral Isoruku Yamamoto. Good morning and welcome. Good morning. Welcome to another situation. I felt like a lion when I said that, like a lion yawning. Good morning. (laughs) Okay. Okay. That's Jessica the lion. Hi. And And that's Ingrid the bull. (laughs) (laughs) Aren't you? Right. I'm a ram. Oh, I'm an archer. Yes. Okay. So you were saying you had a correction. I do. Uh, I just misspoke a lot during the Packer Green Bay one. And there was one point in time I said Curtis Lambeau instead of Curly. His first name might be Curtis. I don't know. And his nickname might be Curly, but I've never heard him call Curtis. (laughs) So I wanted to correct that. And then I also misspoke. Uh, I said that the bears were befriending the bears. And of course I meant that the bears were befriending the Packers. So, okay. Well, I had way back to the Hatfield and McCoy. um, I think it was part two. I was talking about an individual and I kept calling him Selkin or something like that, but his name is Selkirk. And I said his name correctly the first time, but after that (laughs) all bets are off. And I do still plan on putting like a a chart together. It's just there's a lot going on lately and mm. it, it'll it'll get up eventually. Maybe we could draw one on poster board this weekend. <laughs> poster board. <laughs> <laughs> do, or a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> do you have room to pack that in your suitcase? Because I don't. No, but I'm sure there's like a Target in California. Oh, right. Okay. Well, shall we just jump into to this? Yeah, might okay. as well. Okay. Well, I got my information from the Library of Congress. Congress? <laughs> Converse? I have a So I, I take it you're going first and then I'm going? Yes. And then I go again. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. So I have the Library of Congress.gov, Britannica.com, and the National World War II Museum. And before I get too far started, I want to say I'm a little disappointed in myself because I actually toured the National World War II Museum in New Orleans. And I was looking through my phone because I thought I could share pictures and I didn't take a single picture, (laughs) which doesn't make sense. Maybe I didn't go back far enough. You know, I've been to the um, USS Arizona and I did take pictures, but they were um, like actual pictures and not uh, what are electronic? Oh no! Pictures. Yeah, so I have no idea where they are. 
Oh, that stinks. It does stink. Okay. Well, since you're talking about- In case about, you can't tell. I, I think we can just, just start talking. I'll, I'll start and then- <laughs> Didn't we already say that? (laughs) Go ahead and start talking, Ingrid. Uh, I don't think I've stopped. (laughs) (laughs) Start talking about something Mm. else then. Okay. So I I did want to say that it's a little ironic because in our last episode that you so brilliantly did on the Packers and the Bears, we were... Hmm actually talking about the great depression we were <laughs> and <laughs> yeah that was, we that was were, terrible we were talking so about sorry it to everybody listening. incorrectly and not recalling exactly where it fell in terms of history of the united states but but it does come into discussion when we're talking about this week's episode jessica was correct when she mentioned the roaring 20s were followed by the great depression and the Great Depression happened because of the stock market crash in October of 1929. And at that time, our country, the United States, entered a very dark time of despair. Individuals and families, jobs, money, farms, and livelihood were all on the line. Franklin Delano Roosevelt was elected with hopes of turning all of this around. His terms were called the New Deal Era. In his inaugural address, FDR said, I have a firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror. And the Americans grew confidence with their new president's speech. But this economic... Yeah. yeah. That, that's one of my favorite quotes, too. Along with the sleeping giant. Yeah. But this economic disaster was not only happening in the United States, it was worldwide. Economic instability led to political instability, which led to chaos, which led to opportunities for dangerous dictators to take control. Wait, or, is this 2020 or is this <laughs> 1930? I was going to say, or as Yoda put it, fear is a path to the dark side. Fear leads to <laughs> anger. Anger leads to hate and hate leads to suffering. Hmm. Yoda's a wise one. Hmm. There so, is no try. There's only do or do not. Yeah, he has a lot of great quotes too. He does. He's Yoda. <laughs> so Adolf Hitler rose to power in Germany and hmm. the military gained momentum in Japan. Japan, over the course of years, even preceding World War I, had the goal of becoming the powerhouse in Asia. And China was in close proximity and took a lot of Japan's attention. In 1931, Japan invaded Manchuria. By 1937, Japan had taken control over much of North China and its port cities. The Japanese military was brutal. Their motto was kill all, burn all, loot all. Anyone anyone who resisted would be killed, including civilians, many civilians. Despite this... Chiang Kai-shek led the country of China to resist. In an attempt to assist China, FDR waged economic warfare on Japan. He implemented embargoes of arms in 1937 and scrap iron in 1938. In 1940, Japan invaded French Indochina, thus prompting the hardest U.S. embargo yet, petroleum. With China resisting and now the U.S. embargoes, Japan was faltering. They needed to come up with a plan. 
Meanwhile, Germany was traipsing over Europe. Other than the embargoes, the U.S. was attempting to remain out of the World War. Japan eventually formed an alliance with Germany and Italy in 1940 by signing the Tripartite Pact. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. I don't think you did, but I don't know how to say it. Japan was... It's like trip, trip RT, right? Is that what it looks like? Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, we, I we we can try 10 different ways to pronounce it. None of them will be correct. So try part. <laughs> okay. We're not going to do that though. <laughs> Japan was eyeing resource rich European colonial empires in Asia, but had to devise mm. a plan on how to invade and overtake. They narrowed their sights on one specific location. Cue me. <laughs> so, like, one thing I, I, I'm glad that you actually pointed out was, like, how vicious uh, the Japanese were back then. Like, and just, like, their mentality of, I mean, kamikaze pirates. Pirates. <laughs> kamikaze. <laughs> <laughs> Pilots. Like, started. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, Captain Jack and his kamikaze ways. <laughs> Okay, so this is titled A Day I Remember, December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor, by, should I say who it's by? I mean, uh, we don't uh, have his permission. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Do we? Yeah. It's by our grand, it's our grandpa, Eldon W. Dutton. Okay. Um, and then disclosure. <laughs> so this was wrote, written um, in the times that he understood. So there are some slang terms for uh, Asian people that would not be welcomed now. But just keep in mind, this was he wrote this, and this was his experience from back in, um, you know, 1941, 1941, December 7th. After several weeks at Midway and Wake Islands, we took off from Wake on December 4th, Honolulu time, and returned to Midway. We left Midway the next morning, December 5th, and returned to Pearl Harbor about dark. So I'll get into it later, what our what his um, job and, and rank was and what kind of bird he worked on. Plane, airplane. So a special payday had been arranged for us, the only time that I had gotten paid after dark. Saturday, we drew some badly needed white hats and Oxfords from small stores, that's part of their uniform, so apparently they needed new ones. <laughs> I ran into Wendy Henderson, RM3C, who had joined the squadron we were at Midway. He had been temporarily assigned to the station for radio watch. Saturday night, Henderson and I went on Liberty. We took in a movie, quote-unquote, spliced the main brace, which means they drank, <laughs> and returned to station at about 2,300 hours. The next morning, 7 December 1941, at about 0630 hours, Henderson woke me up. He sat on the edge of my bunk, inquired whether I wanted to eat late chow. Saturday or Sunday routine breakfast was served an hour later than normal. He mentioned a letter from home. Henderson, Rich Gruber, and myself were from the little old town of Sparta, Wisconsin, a coincidence in itself. And went back to another section of the barracks to get it, the letter from home. 
A few minutes later, the roar of a plane and a dive, followed by an explosion, brought me out of the sack. My first thought was that an SBD was practicing power dives and had failed to pull out, resulting in the explosion. Looking toward the hangar area, my bunk was located on a lineai facing the hangar area and the direction of the sound the explosion had come from. I saw the second plane come in. Oh, God, this always gets me. Mm-hmm. The bomb he dropped seemed to lazily arc down. It exploded near the water tower. The plane rolled his wing up and its height turned away from the explosion. This is when I saw the quote-unquote red meatball, Japanese insignia. I grabbed dungarees and shoes. Again, that's the pants. It's his uniform. And headed for the lower deck. This deck was supposed to be bomb-proof. The ladder way came out into the dining area. It was here that I ran into R.N. Gillett, another ordnanceman from the squadron. We agreed to get up to the hangar area. By getting on the tabletops, we could jump from one to the other, and this was necessary because of the human pandemonium that had gathered in the lower deck. As we left the building, quote-unquote, Pearl Harbor was happening. Oh, gosh. We could see the small geysers out on the water and hear the fluttering sound of shrapnel, the whine of ricochets and the thudding of bullets, plus the dull thundering sounds of the torpedoes finding their targets on Battleship Row. We could see the torpedo planes making their run and releasing their torpedoes and the billowing smoke, both from the ships and in the hangar area. As we reached the hangar area, I was completely dismayed and infuriated by the carnage. How could the Japs be so stupid as to attack the U.S.? The hangar doors were blown off. Our planes were burning and our head burned. Gillette jumped onto one plane, which had burned, but the fuselage and waist guns had not been damaged. He threw the two fifty cal machine guns into position and commenced firing on several Jap planes. His bouncing from one waist gun to the other reminded me of a quote-unquote Jack at the box, Jack in the box at the time. At the same time, I climbed into another plane in which the wing sections were still burning. I threw up the port waist hatch, uh, which is right hand, I can't remember, and port waist hatch gun and fired the same at a couple of Jap planes. The heat in the plane had become almost unbearable. The starboard wing kind of swelled up and burst. The fire was as not as great as I anticipated due to the low gas levels from the return trip from Windway. This is my insertion. Thank God that the gas levels were low. At this point, I decided to abandon the plane I was in. I became concerned for anyone who have might've been in the hangar and area at the time of the initial explosion. It was then that I ran into Bell, an AOM 3C, who was on a hangar watch. He said that he had been the only one in the area, with the exception of possibly several people in VP-21 who shared half of the hangar with VP-22, which was Grandpa's squadron. Bell, in my opinion, is a man that should have been decorated for coolness and composure while under direct surprise attack by undeclared enemy. He had been on the hangar watch when the first bombs dropped. He was on the ramp when he observed the first torpedo planes making their run and drop. Realizing that we were under attack, he drew his forty-five, emptied both clips at them, and then started to the hangar to call and report the attack. It was a miracle that he was not killed when the bombs hit the hangar and the planes. He finally got into the hangar into a phone. Somehow he managed to get a call through to the station OD and reported to him with a statement, Sir, I wish to report that VP-22 is being bombed. The officer that was on OD on the 7th came to look up Bell. I got the chills. Came to look up Bell about three weeks later so that he could meet the guy that remained so cool, quote unquote cool, right in the midst of the attack. Back to my tale. I broke the glass <clears throat> out of ready racks of rifles, took one myself and handed out others, carried the same for several days. I shot the lock off the ammo magazine behind the hangar, belted ammo, filled sandbags, helped fabricate MG mounts. 
It was in gun position when the Yorktown planes came over that night. Sharborough was firing 50 cal uh, machine guns when Lieutenant Commander O'Brien shouted to cease fire. Sharborough couldn't hear him, so I twisted the belt to stop the gun. Several of the Yorktown planes were shot down that night. I saw one crash in a cane field and burn. Later, the squadron went to Australia. Most of us that were left behind went to VP-24. From there, I went to Pat Wing 1 at Kanoe Bay to help organize a gunnery school, then went back to VP-24. During the Battle of Midway, made several trips ferrying torpedoes to Midway, flew reserve for wake raid survivors. After Midway, transferred to Pat Wing 1 Headquarters Squadron and remained at Midway until January 1943. I returned to Kaneohe Bay where I requested transfer to VB-102, a PBY-4-1, B-24s, Bombers 24s, which was being organized around VP-14. Went to Guadalcanal. We lost about one-fourth of the squadron, including the skipper, Lieutenant Commander Van Voorhees. Made chief. Returned to Kenoe Bay with the remainder of the squadron, then to the States. Washed out of flight school because of too many pilots, and I was discharged April 4th, 1946. In civilian life, I worked a couple of years at a VA hospital, then went to work for the Department of the Army as a weapons and explosive technician. Since my retirement, 4 July 1975, I have been living the serene life on 115 acres, 12 miles from town, where I hunt, trap, and enjoy the solitude of the hills, woods, and changing seasons. My wife, Harriet, and I have raised 10 children, three daughters, Elda, Diana, and Barbara, and seven sons, John, Kenneth, Michael, Stephen, Joseph, Timothy, and Jeffrey. Four of our sons served a four-year hitch in the Navy, one a hitch in the Marine Corps, served in Vietnam, one a hitch in the Coast Guard, and one in the Army. Our daughter serves in the Army Reserves. Two of our sons served in Saudi Arabia during Desert Storm. Other recollections from December 7th, 1941. Drinking water from a, civ- a swimming pool. And the rations for one day was one slice of ble- bread and half of an apple. The wounded being laid out and treated in mess hall. And then the rumors of an invasion. So what gets me is... um. So uh, the majority of you know that I was in the Navy. So I was in VP-1, which is the same plane that my, like it was a more advanced plane that uh, grandpa worked on. And like I had done the hangar bay watch many times. Like that's why that one gets me so much. Like I can't imagine being on hangar bay watch and just seeing like the Japanese coming to attack your ships. And that guy was so brave, like taking out his 45 and just shooting at him. Like, you know, Unless like you're a really good shot and like can hit the fuselage or something or something to take him down, it's just it's amazing that uh, uh goodness. And then jumping in a plane that's burning, uh, just the amount of bravery in a couple of hours is just crazy. What does hangar bay watch mean? It means that you're supposed to uh, walk around the hangar, check the doors, make sure no one's coming in that isn't allowed to, and make sure. No one's stealing any equipment or hangar pieces because usually the airplanes in the hangar are being worked on and so they're not ready to fly. Or like those ones, they had just been um, brought back from Midway. So they were they had just been flying, probably had to do uh, some maintenance on it. Since you did that, I was I was going to discuss the aftermath quick. Okay. So... Japan had launched six fleet carriers across 3,000 miles of open ocean, undetected. 353 Japanese planes and 67 ships were involved in the attack. 29 of those planes were lost. 
in less than 90 minutes, 19 U.S. warships and 300 aircraft were damaged or destroyed. The ships that were a total loss were the Arizona, Oklahoma, and Utah. The U.S. ships damaged and repaired were Curtis, Raleigh, Nevada, Vestal, West Virginia, Tennessee, Maryland, California, Oglala, Helena, Shaw, Cassin, Downs, Pennsylvania, and Honolulu. 2,404 U.S. military and civilians were killed. 1,177 military and 68 civilians were all killed on the USS Arizona. And the USS Arizona remains in Pearl Harbor as a memorial. There were 64 Japanese military killed, one taken prisoner. 15 U.S. Navy personnel received the Medal of Honor, and 51 received the Navy Cross. And on December 8th, 1941, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation by saying, Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy, the United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. The United States was at peace with that nation and, at the solicitation of Japan, was still in conversation with its government and its emperor looking toward the maintenance of peace in the Pacific. Indeed, one hour after Japanese air squadrons had commenced bombing in the American island of Oahu, the Japanese ambassador to the United States and his colleague delivered to our Secretary of State a formal reply to a recent American message. And while this reply stated that it seemed useless to continue the existing diplomatic negotiations, it contained no threat or hint of war or of armed attack. It will be recorded that the distance of Hawaii from Japan makes it obvious that the attack was deliberately planned many days or even weeks ago. During the intervening time, the Japanese government has deliberately sought to deceive the United States by false statements and expressions of hope for continued peace. The attack yesterday on the Hawaiian Islands has caused severe damage to the American naval and military forces. I regret to tell you that very many American lives have been lost. In addition, American ships have been reported torpedoed on the high seas between San Francisco and Honolulu. Yesterday, the Japanese government also launched an attack against Malaya. Last night, Japanese forces attacked Hong Kong. Last night, Japanese forces attacked Guam. Last night, Japanese forces attacked the Philippine Islands. Last night, the Japanese attacked Wake Island, and this morning, the Japanese attacked Midway Island. Japan has therefore undertaken a surprise offensive extending throughout the Pacific area. The facts of yesterday and today speak for themselves. The people of the United States have already formed their opinions and well understand the implications to the very life and safety of our nation. As Commander-in-Chief of the Army and Navy, I have directed that all measures be taken for our defense." But always will our whole nation remember the character of the onslaught against us. No matter how long it may take us to overcome this premeditated invasion, the American people and their righteous might will win through absolute victory. 
I believe that I interpret the will of the Congress and of the people when I assert that we will not only defend ourselves to the uttermost, but will make it very certain that this form of treachery shall never again endanger us. Hostilities exist. There is no blinking at the fact that our people, our territory, and our interests are in grave danger. With confidence in our armed forces, with the unbounding determination of our people, we will gain the inevitable triumph. So help us God. I ask that the Congress declare that since the unprovoked and dastardly attack by Japan on Sunday, December 7th, 1941, a state of war has existed between the United States and the Japanese Empire. My least favorite part in that movie, Pearl Harbor, with um, Josh Hartnett and Ben Affleck, is when um, and Cuba Gooden Jr. When Cuba Gooden Jr. is trying to get those people out of Arizona, and he can like hear him pounding and like, oh, oh cry again. yes, totally gonna cry again, and that hand coming up, like those poor men. Absolutely. Well, and obviously there there are a lot of details that we did not include, like the minutes leading up to the actual attack and everything right. and what was codes that were decoded and information that was transmitted and everything. Um, but go check it out. It's, it's very interesting. It's, I mean, it, it really, well, I guess it, it may not have the same effect on everybody, but if you like history, if you like the Navy, <laughs> if you like our grandpa, <laughs> So that's our story situation for this week. Thank you, Grandpa, for the story. Yeah, let's do our bees. Be vigilant. Be a sleeping giant. Be brave. Even when you're facing a plane that could shoot you down. Be brave. Be remembered. Okay, next week, it's a Jessica assignment. Uh oh. <laughs> Don't say what it is in case I screw it up. <laughs> That's always fun. <laughs> My assignment this week was easy. I just had to read. Uh, and, oh, actually, check out our social media pages because we should, that we're, I'm predicting the future here, we should have some photos of our wine country trip with our mom posted mm. there. <laughs> oh, boy. And if, if there are no pictures, that <laughs> there may be a reason. <laughs> <laughs> that means we had a good time and we forgot to take photos. <laughs> right. That's it. Just in case anyone's worried about me, I just want to let you guys know that it's just ankle surgery that I'm having. I'm getting some tendons repaired. Actually, I'm getting fake tendons put in my ankle. So I will be fine. Our dad is coming out here to drive me around and be my chauffeur. So that'll be interesting. And I have a big old boot and I got a knee scooter today. So exciting stuff happening. I was scooting around the knee scooter today at the hospital I work at. And I was just like zooming through the hallways looking for this thing. I had looking for this clinic I needed to find. <laughs> like my knee hurts. I can't really zoom on it. Like I thought I'd be able to. I mean, I can zoom fast. I just can't stay on it too well. Well, good luck to Jessica on surgery. And next time we come back, she'll be post-surgery. I'll be in a boot. Bye. Bye. If you'd like to reach out to us or submit your situation, please contact us at another situation podcast at gmail.com 
or find us on Instagram at Another Situation Podcast. We're also on Facebook at Another Situation. Another Situation is produced and edited by Point Five Pinoy. Music is written and performed by Tim Crow. Bye.